0: traveler on an endless route, in search of sustenance, respite, or simply their bearings. On a lonely road, they despair of finding relief as their strength wanes and their lids feel the weight of a trip that has taken too long, when suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, appear lights, just in the nick of time, promising salvation in what was an increasingly hopeless situation. But is it really safe harbor, or... An eerie illusion more dangerous than continuing the journey. Have they found the shop that never was? I'm Claire Marie, and this is Catalogia Mysterium. Author Daniel Cohen, in his book Railway Ghost and Highway Horrors, has a chapter entitled Open 24 Hours. It encapsulates the phenomenon of the shop that never was. It tells the story of Bill McCormick. Traveling down an unlit two-lane road, McCormick was fighting a losing battle against sleep. In desperate need of a caffeine ally, he even contemplated the dangerous option of pulling onto the shoulder for much-needed rest, when out of nowhere, it appeared... Diner, open 24 hours. Built inside an old rail car and having only one auto in its lot, the diner, nonetheless, was more or less what McCormick needed when he needed it. But he would soon discover that what he needed more of turned out to be less than this diner. He quickly becomes uneasy upon entering. While clean enough, the establishment strikes him as shaky at best and unsettling at worst. Dim lights and broken fixtures remove any sense of welcome or warmth. Torn, taped-up chair cushions and a cracked Formica counter suggest business isn't good enough for keeping up with the upkeep. And the three folks gathered round and behind the cracked counter don't restore his faith in the restaurant. Behind the counter, a surly young man makes uninviting eye contact, grunts, and walks away. Meanwhile, an old man perched at the counter and stewing in bitterness, sighs in exasperation. An tired woman compensates for the other two by nervously smiling and racing to get a table rag. The older man bellows out, "We have customers." McCormick moves towards the closest of the empty booths as the younger one retorts, "A customer, a customer. And if we don't serve him, we'll have none." McCormick slides into the booth and says, Just coffee. The tired woman wipes his table quickly with a desperate energy. Are you sure we can't get you some pie? Just coffee. See? No one wants your pie. And when she slides the cup in front of him, McCormick becomes aware that he is now trapped. They're all staring at him as he takes his first sip. If he asks for a to-go cup, will he leave them to fight? If he simply pays and walks out, will it be worse? Is there anything other than finishing the cup of molten hot crude oil coffee in icy silence that won't make this dynamic worse? And so McCormick chokes down the bottomless pit of black, takes out his wallet, slides a ten on the table, rises before the woman can get back to him, and he makes an immediate beeline for his car. Nervous, McCormick fumbles his keys, drops them to the ground, picks them up, and when he looks up, the old woman is standing in silhouette at the diner door. She moves with purpose toward him. He quickly unlocks his car. She begins to run. He jumps in his seat and cranks the ignition. Does she scream? He doesn't look back, and he is gone before he can sort it out. When he finally arrives at a gas station, he discovers he has left his wallet. Was that why she gave chase? But McCormick decides that a night in a well-lit service station parking lot is preferable to retracing his route to the diner in the dark. What he finds there in the light of the next day chills him. The other car in the lot is a rusted junker. There is no sign of life. By all appearances, the diner had gone out of business years earlier, Peering through the dusty windows, he sees his wallet on the table inside the booth where he drank the stand-your-spoon-up coffee. A policeman he calls to the scene finishes the story. Tom and Edna Porter built this place in the late 60s, thinking the interstate exit ramp was coming. But when those construction plans were scrapped, so were the Porter's savings. That meant they were stuck trying to make a go of a 24-hour diner with no access to traveling customers. It became an obsession that broke them. Worse than that, it broke their son Bert as well. And when he snapped, Bert shot them both, then turned his gun on himself. Now, I'm more than happy to keep watch while you grab your wallet, but I ain't getting it for you. Cohen's Tale of McCormick is not a singular one. The road is full of rumors of oasis eateries that turn out to be nothing more than a mirage. In fact, the shop that never was can often be found in what is known as the Vanishing Village an entire community suddenly gone overnight in the blink of an eye, relocated somewhere outside the borders of reality. Consider the disappearances of Urkhammer, Iowa in the 30s and Doveland, Wisconsin in the 90s, both Midwestern hamlets of mystery that many claim to either visited, passed through, or known someone from, only to discover that one day they simply disappeared. In the case of Urkhammer, merchants not only reported doing business within the township's limits, but also seeing families and functioning fields in the surrounding area. And then one day, all of it was simply gone. The town's larger neighbor, Davenport, raised the alarm after Urkhammer seemed to be disappearing overnight. The Clarion Sun Telegraph reported that aerial photos of Urkhammer showed an empty place with no people, cars, or livestock. Nonetheless, travelers swore they witnessed continued signs of life. Take the case of one unlucky motorist. After purchasing fuel in Urkhammer, his gas vanished at the town line, leaving him stranded. He then began an endless two-mile walk back to a fuel station that no longer existed, and when finally rescued on the side of the road, he just kept saying, "Urkhammer, where is Urkhammer? It was right there. He would continue to say it, even after being committed to a sanitarium. Residents of nearby communities whispered years later of a botched raid by the county sheriff. What happened on that mission remains murky. But what is clear is that many deputies resigned in the aftermath, unwilling to speak of what they had seen. Whatever those lawmen laid eyes on was lost for good, when soon after, no one could find anything but a few abandoned farmhouses where the town had once stood. Closer to our time, Doveland appears as a Google ghost trace, a suggested frequent search term yielding no results. No results, despite numerous citizens of Wisconsin having memories of visiting Doveland while growing up, and some even claiming to own t-shirts commemorating the existence of Doveland. In an attempt to make sense of the conundrum, many have speculated it was a pop-up logging town that shut down as quickly as it had arrived. Others suggest it was the victim of one of many damming projects that wiped out small communities across the state. Then there are rumors of the town's eradication through Project Sanguine, a cryptic military experiment featuring extremely low-frequency waves. And one has to give pause when considering the thousands of missing person reports circulated throughout the state... Coming around the same time that Dublin could no longer be found, I promise you, Catalogum Mysterium isn't making any of this up, and that's because others have done it for us. None of the previous stories have any charter in the truth. Talk of Dublin doesn't begin until 2015. It's a meme and posting phenomenon where internet noise from Google and chat boards created a location that never was. Specifically, tie the state's overall missing person stats to Dublin's existence, and you've added an element of menace. Mix in a touch of the Mandela effect, and suddenly everyone had a cousin of a friend who claimed to have been there. Those t-shirts? Recent creations in response to the creation of the town itself. Urkhammer may well be the analog version of the same occurrence. There's evidence that it began as a chainmail letter that spun a fictional story into a seemingly ghostly reality. But what of the story in the Davenport newspaper? Turns out that is one lie on top of another, as there's no record of any institution named the Clarion Sun Telegraph existing in that city or any other. An extra detail added to the growing chain of fictional information. Now, as for Daniel Cohen's chapter, Open 24 Hours, that chapter's very much real, as is the book Railway Ghosts and Highway Horrors. I've had a copy of that book for about 30 years. I bought it at a scholastic book fair in the early 90s, along with countless other young readers who like to tell scary stories in the dark. As you by now have guessed, The Shop That Never Was and The Vanishing Village are both story tropes. They're flights of creative fantasy, folkloric in root, that have their literary origins at the turn of the previous century, with two tales by futurist-fabulist H.G. Wells. 1897's The Crystal Egg, and 1903's The Magic Shop. Both are prototypes of what would become a familiar formula. Begin with an exhausted or confused traveler, add an accidental discovery, follow it up with a frightful-slash-fanciful encounter, and conclude with a harried assertion to the authorities— It was there! I swear, it was there! there. there. Visionaries such as H.P. Lovecraft, Ray Bradbury, and Rod Serling would merge both the shop and the village to perfection, with seaside cults posing as company towns, abandoned fairgrounds filled with the echoes of a calliope, and unscheduled railway stops to the main streets of a lost childhood. But whatever their details... All these establishments and townships are ephemeral destinations of longing and dread. And those words, longing and dread, might be the key to solving the mystery of why a fictional formula is willing its way into a debated reality. All of these tales long for what was. They're real in the sense that they're cumulative constructions of times and towns torn from the landscapes of the current coming age. And all of these tales dread what is to come in the aftermath of the locale's disappearance. All of these locations exist neither here nor there, but instead create a fragile shield against the future. Set in the 70s, Open 24 Hours is haunted by a nostalgia for those mom-and-pop small businesses bulldozed by the march of Eisenhower's interstate highway system. Urkhammer appears on the map of the imagination right at the onset of the Great Depression— it arrived as dust and despair destroyed farming communities across the U.S. And don't you find it interesting that it's the internet that creates Dublin? It's the exact sort of ex-urban community hollowed out by the 90s transformation of the country's economic foundation from manufacturing to information technology. There are dozens, if not hundreds, more of these fictional destinations popping up across the internet, including Langville in Montana, and Aglo in upstate New York. With all of these making their way into the collective imagination, how long is it before they become a communal reality? Is it possible that, much like their sinister cousin the Slenderman, these here-today-gone-tomorrow locales are in the process of their own transformation— Incubated by the internet, are they moving from the menu of creepypasta to the serving table of reality? Already, reliable sources have pointed the serious seeker of the supernatural to the sudden revelation of well-documented geographic anomalies like Tannis and Pleasant Green. There have been reports around Chicago about a bar that only appears once to any particular customer and at the exact moment they need it. Just talk to those served a drink at the odd-shaped room in the Windy City, and they will assure you that the alcohol and steaks were real. And most recently, a trucker, both a friend of this show and a man not given to hyperbole, reported an all-too-close encounter with the Hurry Up and Wait, a truck stop that promised to help its patrons get back to back in the day. Is the shop that never was becoming a place that always is? one final word, a word of danger and warning. And that word is lost. Both in their fictional construction and emerging online realities, the shop and the village are discovered when the traveler has lost their way, longing for what is gone and dreading what is to come. A pilgrim stumbles onto a place that seemingly at first sight restores their equilibrium. A tank of gas, a cup of joe, a memory of a cherished moment. Now, were that all the secret sought, a moment of restored equilibrium, perhaps. There our story ends. But the creation of these places, either on the rabbit hole of a chat thread, or in the exhausted reality of a lonely night on the road, seems not to spring from an urge to rest before moving forward, but an insidious desire to stay still. Not equilibrium, but stasis. And in that stasis, the hope is to return to something simpler, more comforting, more familiar, to bring back the day from back in the day, merge into it, and hold it there for all time. Look at the formula. The inescapable element of the shop that never was is it never was. Always uncanny, both familiar and unfamiliar, homelike and unhomelike, always wrong such as nostalgia. Ultimately, the shop that never was will disappear, fade from view, taking all inside it with it, and returning to a place that never was. And a place that never was is nowhere. And for that reason, we'll continue to keep an eye on the shop that never was, on Catalogium Mysterium. Mysterium, The Shop That Never Was, was written by Adriano Luciano and Jimmy Mack. It was produced, designed, and performed by Claire Marie Nemanich. Please visit the Snake Punch Train podcast on podwheels.com or listen to Radio Nemo's Dave Nemo Weekend, your Weekend 34, from 6 to 10 in the center, 7 to 11 in the east on Saturdays and Sundays on Sirius XM 146, Road Dog Trucking.